We're human too, you know. Eyes, teeth, hands, blood. Exactly like you. There really isn't any telling you apart, is there? Absolutely identical in every respect. I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every every mannerism, facial tick, gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. There's always an alternate. Lily's the best choice. No, but she wants my role. <laughs> Every dancer in the world wants a role. No, this is different. She's after me. She's trying to replace me. Nobody's after you. No, please, believe me. Here at the Lucas Clinic, we strive to bring you closer to celebrity than ever before. With samples drawn directly from the source, you can be connected in ways you never imagined. Oh, tell him you know me. You must know me. But this is Mr. Pellet. What do you want with him? I am Pellet. I am Pellet! This is uh, this is my friend Anna. She's she's also an actress. Have I seen you in anything? No, I would be surprised. Man is least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask, and he'll tell you the truth. Hello, we're back. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm excited to talk about these two films. Yeah, me too. Um, the last time we recorded was our episode with Slavoj Zizek. Still haven't recovered. Still, haven't <laughs> Still can't believe it happened. I know, I know. And I've actually been getting a lot of DMs from listeners and like a few friends of mine who were like, wow, how did you guys get Slavoj on the pod? And like, you know, how do you guys know him? And there's so many questions. <laughs> Yeah, and I, so people kept saying like, "Why didn't you tell me?" I was like, "Because I didn't think it was going to happen. Like, I couldn't believe it." So I did. Like, I kept it quiet until we actually finished recording. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I just with yeah with the volume of DMs I got about people wanting to know about just how we got him on, um, and since neither of us mentioned it anywhere, um, I thought maybe I could just do a little quick story time of um, how it all happened. Cool. So um, at the start of the pandemic, I was working late uh, for a lecture and then I just kind of casually tweeted out and said, you know, I'm listening to Slavoj Zizek's lectures as I'm working and just wondering if anyone out there has a contact for him because I'd love to invite him on our podcast. And sure enough, someone responded and I want to give a huge shout out to Matt uh, Flissfeder who's an academic and a lovely guy. We emailed and he made an email introduction with me and Slavoj. And that was a, a year and a bit ago. And then since then, I've been in touch with him, trying to connect like a secure time for a recording. And it was never really the right time. And finally, it happened a couple of months ago that he agreed to do it. And that's it. Worth waiting for. 
Definitely. <laughs> um, Mary, I was wondering, did you, um, are you following the Britney Spears news this week since we recorded oh, yeah. that episode about the documentary? Yes, I am. It's really interesting. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Did yeah. you listen? Did you like listen to or read her like statement in court? I did. It's heartbreaking. I really, but I really liked the bit where she said, like, because she's been asking, like, one of the things she's asking for is to have to only go to therapy once a week and for the therapist to come to her house and um not and that she can choose her own therapist because previously kind of a therapist has been chosen for her Mm -hmm. and she feels like you know she feels like she doesn't you know she doesn't get any say in it she doesn't really approve the choice yeah but there's a bit where she says and where after saying all this she says I don't even believe in therapy I think you take that stuff to God Uh, and I just thought it was like such an amazing sentence like like, I think you take that stuff to God I was like (laughs) I really like that as an attitude actually and then later on as she's speaking she goes like she says you know I only want my therapist once a week I guess I do need a little bit of therapy (laughs) like she says she kind of like jokes about it later on so yeah I was just like really interested that like Britney Spears views on therapy were revealed Mm. um because yeah I thought it was interesting pertaining to our podcast now we know how Britney Spears Spears feels about therapy not necessarily psychoanalysis because I'm not sure if she's ever had psychoanalysis Mm. yeah and I'm just glad that she was actually really vocal and upfront about the experiences that she had Mm -hmm. um it's really good that she you know she opened up to the capacity that she felt comfortable doing yeah I guess like she kind of said that she hadn't felt like um or like maybe hadn't even known herself or like admitted to herself what's yeah. going on until quite recently. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it was just mind blowing really some of the stuff that she said. I know. I know. My heart really goes out to her. Yeah. I, I hate the idea of anyone, anyone's liberty ever being compromised or anyone feeling like they don't have the freedom to do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. That's a big, big kind of, you know, sensitive topic for me because like I said before on the pod, I'm a libertarian and I, for me, liberty is sacrosanct, um, you know, and you just don't mess with other people's right to their freedom. Well, like, that's what I thought the whole American thing was. Yeah. You know? Like, they're so, you know, like, the idea that in a country where people are, like, free to, like, have handguns and, yeah. like, all of the things that people, you know, go on about freedom-wise, that you can actually, like, take someone's money and not let them, like, go to the doctor if they want to or, like, make them work when they're not feeling well yeah like it's just it's like a really strange it's really strange that like a conservatorship system like that exists in a country that is so hell-bent on everyone having their individual rights you know it just seems doesn't make sense at all it's really I also like even if like even if she wasn't like in her right mind which she does seem to be in her right mind but even if she wasn't like I don't know, like, she's got a right to spend all her money and end up in, like, a motel if she wants to. Like, that's your right. Of course like, she does. You know, like, loads of Hollywood stars did it in the, like, 40s and 50s, you know? Just, yeah. like, gambled away all their money and, like, had to live in, like, a dollar a night motel. Like, that is the, that's the celebrity right. She should be allowed to do that if that's what she wants to do. I yeah, doubt that's course. what she's going to do. But, yeah, I don't know. I just don't understand the system, like, the... Yeah, it's very un-American, actually. It's I mean, that's it's it's in their constitution that mm-hmm. they have, you know, that that the individual liberty is 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 absolutely protected, and yet these, frankly, you know, vulture models of taking over someone's autonomy, 
it just it 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 really angers me. Like I, I told you, I I felt like a burning rage when I was watching that movie. You know, the Rosamund Pike Pike one. Um, I care a lot. I care a lot. Yeah, I haven't yeah. watched it yet because it just looked too nightmarish. Um, oh, it's just it it really made me um, feel like a burning rage that I can't even describe. And what what really annoyed me afterwards also is kind of looking at the um, social media reaction to that film and liberal feminists saying that she was like a bad boss bitch and that, you know, she was so gross. Like, but actually I I, I will come back to that topic when we talk about uh, Always Shine. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Oh, I'm intrigued now. (laughs) Okay. Actually, so which which order do you want to start with with the films today? Because we're looking at uh, Confused Identity. We're back on our doubles tip again. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to look at The Man Who Haunted Himself and Always Shine. Which, which well, How do you want to start it? Well, that's the order I've actually written the synopses. Oh, perfect. But Let's I don't know if, like, if you feel like one of them reaches more of a, you know, more of a conclusion than the other. I'm not sure. No, no, not at all. No? Okay, cool. Should we start with the earlier one then? The Man yeah, Who Haunted Himself. Um, this is a first time watch for me. Oh, really? Yeah, I'd never seen it before. I was really surprised that um, throughout the film, I know he did it before the Bond, I think he did it before the Bond films. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised that I didn't think of Bond the entire time. Like he's really, <laughs> he was more versatile than I thought he was as an he actor, is. Roger Moore. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. Well, how about you? How did you discover this film? So I watched this film on a recommendation years ago because I was doing, I was teaching a course on the double Mm -hmm. and someone said, what about this film? And I had not even heard of it. So that was like maybe six years ago. And uh, I fell in love with it. I thought it was kind of, even though it's very sort of repetitive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it sort of beats you over the head with its point, like (laughs) we get it, you know? There's just I, just the whole bit where he talks to that guy who's telling him about like misidentification delusion and stuff like, and also his performance. I thought he was very um, captivating. Yeah. So I kind of I kind of love it, and I love the final scene. Me too, me too. Like and the sort of penultimate scene. It's very it's actually very moving. I feel really sorry for him. Yeah. Like, very. He really kind of turns into like a pitiful wreck, and it's really sad. Yeah. Um, yeah kind of. Yeah. Anyway, do you have, is there any, um, do you have any particular like theory on which you're thinking about confused identities for this episode? Not really. No, we can just build on what we've said before. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think we, we don't want to bash people over the head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so yes, uh, The Man Who Haunted Himself, 1970. Um, a conservative creature of habit, executive Harold Pelham experiences a car crash while speeding without a seatbelt in an out-of-character moment of recklessness. On the operating table, his heart briefly stops beating before doctors revive him. Returning to his everyday life, he begins to experience a series of confusing incidents with his friends and colleagues claiming to have seen and spoken to him in places he can't possibly have been. Okay, excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I like how they have twin boys as Me well. Me too. It's a really good touch. 
It is, and they're bunk beds. <laughs> yeah, and like one of the boys is like naughty, and the other one isn't. Yes, exactly. It's like it wasn't like really that. Like the point wasn't really very laboured. It only happened a couple of times, but like in the <laughs> beginning, like one of the boys is like eating breakfast like away from the table, and so she like tells that boy off, and she's like, and and you too, to the other boy, and then the next, and then when they come downstairs later, like one of them's got like uh, paint all over his face because he's been oh, like painting yeah. pictures um yeah and like and they only have one line it's like uh, what do they say like is that man gone yet or like whatever they say in their little like posh voices <laughs> it's really cute oh my goodness yeah nice touch definitely mm-hmm. and also just the kind of doubling of the um, the women in his life as well you know mm-hmm. that you know obviously he's got his wife mother of his kids and there's some kind of tension in their marriage um, he seems to be withholding from her, you know, emotionally, but also physically. Yes. Romantically, etc. And then there's this kind of like, in a way, her double, you know, reflected in the picture of this kind of very liberated, modern woman of the time, you know, um, independent living and uh, sort of music and drink and partying and whatever, you know, that's all kind of implied and she's an artist. And she's an artist. Yeah. Exactly. And so that kind of um, lends itself to possibilities opening up for his own double. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I yeah. actually loved that character of the photographer that he's like unknowingly having an affair with. Oh, yeah. Um, I loved her. She has this like bachelor pad kind yeah. of of like a like it's like it's like a female bachelor pad. This like amazing house. And she has this like gold dressing gown. Um, yeah. yeah I just loved everything about like the way the st- like the staging and the like set design and all everything about her character costume was yeah the costume was great yeah and also in a weird way like all those board meeting sorry boardroom meetings mm-hmm. um with his colleagues and the way that they're discussing business I feel like it's kind of it's probably not at all consciously implied but I feel like it is in some way a prototype of American Psycho where like mm. Patrick Bateman's colleagues are are so similar, like they all kind of blur into one type of guy. Yeah, and they're all talking about the same thing. It's just this weird multiplicity that occurs in the kind of work environment, and I feel like that's the case here as well. You know, this kind of strange doubling in your work life that it feels very alienating. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think it's like it seems to be very much like a portrait of the time. Mm. Um, because it kind of reminded me of. Um, did you watch any of the Adam, the latest Adam Curtis film? Um, I did. Um, I only watched the first episode. I'm because I'm lazy. Um, <laughs> but there was a um a bit where they were talking about a like a quite kind of high profile couple who um who got divorced in the 60s like they were like she was maybe like kind of aristocratic and like maybe a model or something like that and he was a writer I think and they film an interview with this with this with both of them and they're both kind of talking about their marriage and why she wants a divorce and it's because he's kind of you know he's married like this you know he sort of met they've met fallen in love got married and then he's kind of continuing to live this life of like you know going out going out partying and having mistresses and kind of expects her to be like just a different person now she's kind of like she's she's gone from one of the girls he met partying Mm. to like just he just expects her to be a wife and like just to put up with his this other side of his personality Mm -hmm. in a way and he's like totally flummoxed at why (laughs) she 
why she would humiliate him in this way. Um, like, you know, cause it's like very unusual to get for couples to get divorced at that time. And it's very, um, sure. it's, you know, it's like very public and, yeah, and she's just very, she's just kind of outwardly said, like, I don't appreciate being, like, kept in this, like, category and him to have all this freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it said after the, and then he they he they interview him and he, like, he had, like, kind of cries a tear um, in right. the interview. And then it says he committed suicide, like, a few months later. Oh um, and you can see, like, even just, like, crying a tear is just, like, in a, um, with a, it been, like, a, you know, BBC mm-hmm. interview with a man in the 60s, like for a man to do that is just totally unacceptable. Oh, um, and this film really reminded me of that, like the way that you yeah. can't, like everyone's restricted from being like a full person. Yes. You know, like everyone's like, you know, the, the women are like mothers or whores kind of. Yeah. The, like men and, and like the men can be two people, but those two people have to be like secret from each other. Have to be separated. Exactly. So yeah. like, you know, the guy who kind of comes around and gives the game away that he's kind of been seen at the, you know, at this, at this casino, you mm. know, is, you know, like feels that it should be, a, you know, he's just like, oh, it's, a, you know, it's a secret. I won't tell her. Don't worry about it. You know, it's like this idea, this kind of accepted thing that you can't be every, you can't be like both sides of yourself yes. in various situations. So I don't know. I just really, it really reminded me of that particular story in the Evan Curtis documentary. And that's a really good reference. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that I relate to that a lot. And it makes kind of sense that um, it's almost, it kind of rem- makes me think a little bit of what's going on in the film triangle with like, the, mm. the the emotional or psychological state being actually externalized into a physical state and then there's like evidence of more than one body doing the activities mm-hmm. so here i mean it was sort of implied that he's being told he's doing all these different things that he swears he never did and that this might be because of a misidentification delusion but i would go at a slightly different i would say actually he probably has more of a dissociative amnesia Mm -hmm. he's actually the one doing all these things that he's sort of disavowed from his own psyche because it's unacceptable like you said you you know those two conditions can't exist in the same person simultaneously they're not allowed to be Mm -hmm. and so he's got almost no choice but to dissociate like literally ascribe those behaviors onto an actual other person another man yeah and he just claims he never did those things. But the truth is, it's because he doesn't remember doing those things. He's gone out of his way to completely distance himself from that, um, those impulses, those instincts. I think that's a good reading of the film. Yeah. And I just feel like you're right. It, it sort of does touch on maybe more broadly, like the society of the time and the roles that were acceptable and unacceptable. Because he also is a very privileged guy. Like he belongs to um, a private members club. Yeah. And we all know that those kinds of societies, you know, um, I mean, Louis Bunuel films are all about this. You know, the 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 trouble with the bourgeoisie as in the kind of um, desire to put forward this really civilized face and um, this kind of poised, well, self-contained persona but what you're doing in the meantime, you're repressing a lot of urges and impulses, but they have to come out in some other way. So they're kind of displaced. So mm-hmm. there is that hypocrisy going on. Yeah. And you also have like the, like the, as well as like coming out in other ways, like they're kind of the, 
things that he's repressing are like repressing other things too or like kind of taking other things so like he can't have sex with his wife presumably because he's like like trying to repress like a like a sexual attraction to like people who aren't his wife you know so like rather than like repressing it only in one part of his life he's like repressing it in all parts of his life so he can't even have sex with his wife anymore because you know he doesn't like want to be like you know because he's like it's too risky for him to be a sexual person sure Mm-hmm. I mean, it could even be that he might still feel love and desire for his wife. It's just that maybe the kind of sex he wants to have, he's decided that that's off limits for her. Mm-hmm. And that, or, or that somehow if he admits to those desires, he'll be rejected or denounced as a pervert or something. So he has to deny, he has to bring up that barrier between them. Oh, that's and- so true. You know what I mean? So it's like, because he does seem to really care for her. Like he feels genuinely offended when when she accuses him of uh, adultery or whatever. Yeah. He goes out of his way to deny, you know? And I just feel like maybe is it so much that it's, he probably just is really conflicted about his own sexuality and he feels he can't express that with her. Or like, as you said, maybe her sexuality. Or her like if sexuality, she enjoys, yeah. If like she enjoys sex, like what does that make her? Exactly. Like, you know, like, cause they, because like she, like she kind of has, like he says, you know, I don't make love to you very much. She's like, that's okay. Like she doesn't yeah. even, like she's not even allowed to be like, actually that's a really important part of our relationship for sure. me. And so then they like, and then they turn the conversation to like, oh, it's because you, like you want to have sex because you want children. Don't oh, yeah. you? And then she goes, yes, yes, that's it. Like, so they, they like, between them, they can't, like, even <laughs> admit that, like, having sex would be something other than just having children. Right. Um, so, yeah. It has to be justified. It has to be justified because they can't have, like, you know, sexual desire. Like, she, you know, as a, she's like, a, she's a mother. That's what she is. Yeah. So she can't have, like, sexual desires outside of desiring more children. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of, they're both, like, complicit in that. Yeah. In that, like, pretense. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah there's some nice like little scenes in it it's a really like nice like little mood like you know like just all these like little moments like that are really beautiful in the film I think yeah definitely I mean he makes it very he brings a lot of emotion and suffering to his performance um, like when he's at his supposed you know mistress's apartment mm-hmm. um, and he sort of um, falls apart and is in tears and the way that he says help me like that really really pulled at my heartstrings mm-hmm. I felt that so emotive and he was so visibly upset and tearful and he said I'm drowning mm. you know and I just felt like the confusion of the identity is so much a part of this in the sense that he is confused about his own desire he truly is confused about what he wants so the mistaken identity trope in the film kind of just reinforces something that is really painful that he's feeling on the inside. I mean, that final, the penultimate scene where he confronts himself mm-hmm. and he insists that he's the real Pelham um, is kind of devastating because the man posing in, as him in his house mocks his style of dress yeah that really upset me like even thinking about it it's like it's really you feel so sorry for him because and he's just like I just wanted to try something different that's it yeah exactly you know like that's it that's kind of the crux of it that he really worries about this the, the socially acceptable persona that he's 
paraded out there for the world to see that everyone has accept has accepted as being him. There's like a consensus around that, around mm-hmm. his identity. Imagine that face turning around and mocking your desire for change or your desire just to try something different. Yeah, <laughs> that's really sad. It is sad. Um, oh my God, it just pains me to think about that scene. It's really well done. It's really, I, I like, I actually, talking about it with you, I understand why it's so upsetting mm. because I was just like, I was just really upset for Roger Moore, just like, like <laughs> it's so mean, don't make fun of his, he was so hopeful with, because that was like quite a hopeful scene when the therapist is like, why exactly. don't you let yourself have some fun? You yeah. know, like, and it's really good advice, but it's just kind of too late. Yeah. Um. And he's and the way he has fun is like a pink tie and like a brown suit. And it's right. really, it's just really sweet. Um. <laughs> but yeah, like you're right. Is it is just like the this kind of other other part of you that turns around and it's just like you can't you can't do that. Like you're not allowed. Yeah, exactly. And the idea that, you know, this, the stand in for you, you know, the, the, the social face that you present to the world, then having the power of winning the hearts and minds of your, of your family, they're all siding with your double, mm-hmm. you know, like they're all siding with your mask and your children don't recognize you. Yeah. You know, you finally come out and say, well, maybe there's another part of me. Um, that's seen as like, overwhelming for them and they and they're 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 showing a preference for your fiction I mean Mm -hmm. that just is like it's it's kind of kind of a masterful story in that way you know that those anxieties that we might maybe harbor about the various um dimensions of ourselves that we decide to like put out and how people how people react to that that's so interesting like the idea that we kind of all form we form relationships with people's like personas as yeah. opposed to people's real selves exactly, and become attached to them. It kind of reminds me of um, actually something I was thinking about in relation to Britney Spears because I was thinking about yeah. how I would feel if my father was in, t- in charge of my life. Okay. Um, and like I would, I would be devastated and I have a good relationship with my father. So like sure. to have, you know, someone who, but I was thinking about um, though that, you know, um, who is that? Like, is, is he a Scottish psychologist in like the sixties? basically like studying people who were in mental institutions and then when they go back to their families they become they they their their like symptoms worsen again so they recover away from their families and then their their symptoms worsen wait are you thinking of rd lang rd lang yes okay so i was thinking a lot about like that and how i listened to this american life episode about um or maybe it was a hidden brain episode one of those episodes one of those kind of social podcasts where they were talking about a community somewhere in Scandinavia where um it's like a village and every household has a lodger who has a mental illness okay and all of the everyone functions really well but they said that the possibility of what it is is that they're like they the people kind of they they don't feel the pressure to cover up their their illness so like they function really well because they're allowed to be a little bit mad because they don't have the expectations of their family wanting a certain version of them. Wow. And I thought like that made, I was like just thinking a lot about like, you know, having be like being like traumatized or troubled as like, there are loads of reasons why Britney Spears is. And then the person that is like holding you to account is like someone related to you. And that's so unfair because like when you're close, when you're really close with someone, sometimes you're invested in them being a certain version of themselves Mm-hmm. and the you know that version of yourself is like actually a person that's going to make you 
like that's gonna it's put so much pressure on you that's gonna make you worse in the end you know it's gonna make you yeah. really really unhappy yeah um so yeah sorry that's just like a really long thing but I was I just it's uh kind of yeah that's those kind of experiments I think that's those studies were also like 60s or 70s weren't they yeah so yeah maybe all of that kind of was around a lot of it where people started to realize it wasn't just kind of social expectations it was like families buying into social expectations and expecting like there's something there's so much about like the role of people in the family mm-hmm. in this film you know like the wife has like these responsibilities that she feels that she's fulfilling and that he's not kind of keeping up his end of the bargain yeah in and there's like there's so much there about like what people expect you to be not as an individual but like as a husband or as a mother as a wife it's like totally outside what is actually right for you as a person. Oh, definitely. Mm. Definitely. That's so important. And you're right. I mean, that sort of anti-psychiatry movement, which prior to the making of this film, I mean, this film was released in 1970, mm-hmm. but a lot of really important work was being done in the 60s leading up to that, you know, obviously including Michel Foucault's uh, publication of Madness and Civilization, which kind of added a lot to that movement. I'm trying to think of other people in that movement because it was a pretty interesting time. Yeah. Um, Thomas Sass. Oh, uh, I don't think I've heard of Thomas Sass. I have to look him up. Yeah. He said that mental illness is an inherently incoherent combination of medical and psychological concepts. And he was really opposed to the use of psychiatry to forcibly detain people or treat them. Interesting. Um, He was a libertarian. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, Artie Lang, that's known. Uh, but also like uh, Deleuze and Guattari. Um, so there's a lot there leading mm. up to the making of this film. It definitely would have been in the culture, you know? Yeah. And so I think, yeah, it's really interesting how it's really clever casting as well to use Roger Moore because he's one of these guys who is in his time and when he was at his most famous and, and in demand as an actor he really was kind of considered to be this um, ideal of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And so it's really clever casting to take someone like that and show them in this vulnerable role. It's a bit like, it makes me think of the use of like Jimmy Stewart for Vertigo. Oh, definitely. Oh my God. The, the star <laughs> persona of Jimmy Stewart is one that is endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. It, there's actually, I'll send it to you. There's actually a really interesting article on Mubi about his transformation from like mm. that kind of like screwball, like nice guy <laughs> to like psychopath. Yeah. And it's really, it's really interesting. I'll send it to you. I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, please do. I'm a huge fan of his. I love oh, Jimmy me Stewart. Too, me too. I like had such a crush on him when I was younger still. Oh, me too. But I used to watch Harvey on like a video oh. and like just lo- I loved him. Love I'm actually, that's another film about like a lovable, a lovable madman actually yeah. no, I think lovable, about it lovable rogue yeah definitely um, I feel like Harvey is definitely a prototype for Donnie Darko oh my god definitely like that's a really good double bill mm. actually like midnight movie double bill mm-hmm. um but I think Roger Moore said that he he like this was his favorite role because it was the only role where he was really allowed to act oh my and he god. wasn't he said something like he wasn't just like white teeth and a, a suit <laughs> You know, like or some like some some kind of quote like that, and it's really interesting that like this is the role that like wow. he really felt like he could put his like his skill into his talent, like his imagination. Sure. Um, so maybe he quite maybe like he he's maybe probably like retrospectively identified with it a little bit because obviously he was really kind of pigeonholed after Bond. 
Yes. And he did Bond for so many years. Like he he, the last Bond films that he's in, like he's really quite old. Yeah. Like he's, you know, he's quite creaky. Like, you know, <laughs> jumping on, like skiing and like jumping off mountains and things like, oh, that man's in his 60s. Like maybe, maybe oh my not. God. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting that he did this film like kind of a little bit before that. Yes. And then, you know, and then that kind of, that happened to him, sort of. Like, everyone just kind of wanted to see him in the same role over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, he is an, he, he truly was a gifted actor. Yes, yeah, very. Um, so just goes to show, like, given the right vehicle, the, the right opportunity, a lot of these performers, you know, maybe they're they're not given the right opportunities to, like, really display their potential. Because this yeah. is such a good example of someone who might have just been pigeonholed, you know, and th- maybe we could have seen so many other dimensions of him. He certainly was capable. Yeah, definitely. I actually think that these what these films have in common is that you can kind of apply them to like the culture of Hollywood or like the culture, mm. not just Hollywood, but the culture of filmmaking and yes. like stars in general, like the the next film much more. <laughs> but that is that does like come into this film a little bit. That, you know, like the persona of Roger Moore and the persona. Like, what he kind of retrospectively brings to like to this role. Yeah, like I'm kind of thinking of modern guys that I think of that sort of escape that fate a little bit. Um, the one that comes to mind is Colin Farrell. Ooh. Because he in the 90s, like in the kind of late 90s, was, I think, primed to be this kind of just leading man type guy, you know. But... I feel like he he's definitely proven that he can go outside his comfort zone and and really dazzle. I wonder what was was the film that proved that. Ah, oh, good question. Um, trying to think back, probably Phone Booth. Yeah, I, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, I think. But um, maybe even before that, Minority Report. Oh yeah, that's actually true. Yeah, but yeah, and also they tried to do that with um, Heath Ledger as well. They tried to make him just this kind of heartthrob. Mm-hmm. but you could tell that he just had so much more in him and it just okay I better not talk about him because that's that broke my heart that he died and I'm not yeah. I'm still not over it so let's move on um but yeah it's uh it's it, it is a good film it's definitely a good kind of like but also at first like when I first watched this movie I do remember thinking that they could have maybe done a little less with the kind of continued repetitive vignette of proving that there was this doubling issue yeah yeah I agree and maybe that's the case but then but then now uh, upon multiple viewing something about that repetition also works in a weird way Uh, I can't quite describe it it just feels like um it feels like something in maybe real life that a pattern that one gets caught up in and it's the weird, I guess, cognitive dissonance of knowing there's a problem and continuing to be faced with it, like ad infinitum. I suppose like denial is very repetitive. Yeah. Like, because, you know, once you start lying to yourself about something, like it's really hard to, it's harder and harder to face the truth. Exactly. So, yeah, the more kind of convinced he is that he's not doing these things like the more the tri- like the more the the double like evades him you know yeah um i'd like to read the book actually because it said yeah. that it was based on a book in the opening titles and i would mm-hmm. be interested in reading that book it seems like it might be quite a good story mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. I, I also think I probably could have done with less of like the marine technology, uh, <laughs> like business stuff like, <laughs> that's going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but actually, you know what? I, I had a really pleasant surprise because I realized that the copy of the DVD I own, I thought I just had a DVD um, disc, but in fact, there was a Blu-ray in there as well, and I never, oh. I never knew. So it had its own double. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in this case, it was a good thing. And oh my god, the the Blu-ray is unbelievable! Like the texture, I I just felt like I just fell in love with that beautiful print. So oh, I've got to get a Blu-ray player. I feel like I'm missing out on so much through not having <laughs> Blu-rays. Um, I mean, when it happens, it's great. I, you know, I, I'm not one of these like Blu-ray fascists. I don't have to have everything Blu-ray or anything. Yeah. But but just occasionally, when you kind of stumble upon a Blu-ray, it's like, oh my god! I mean, it's just I can kind of understand you know, yeah. the, the totalitarian impulse to be a Blu-ray fascist. Yeah, definitely. Like I think. <laughs> I just I, th- I especially think that it's imp- I I can see why people get obsessed because like mm-hmm. in the the way we watch films now you don't actually really physically own a lot yeah you know like we used to have people used to have collections of things that mm-hmm. were theirs and they were physically theirs and now it's like you kind of you, even if you buy a film on like iTunes or Google or Amazon or something there's always the chance that it could be taken away from you <laughs> you know it's not really yours you can't like watch it on everything you know it's like I can see why people get obsessed with having things because Definitely. like so much of st- like you just lose so much like when you know when you read the articles online then you can't ever find that article again it's gone yeah. like you know it's so yeah I can see in the kind of transient world of digital culture oh for sure I mean I'm I, I am totally a proponent of physical media I have a mm-hmm. very very I have a massive collection um I just I just own very very few very few blu-ray um discs yeah I, I sort I of wish. don't really discriminate that it's just that occasionally when you when you stumble upon it you really see that difference in the print yeah and it's, it's it is truly mind-blowing um but yeah I agree it's I, I wouldn't want to exclusively rely on ephemeral digital copies of anything yeah um but yeah it's just nice to kind of reconnect with this film I feel like it's kind of not spoken about a lot it's under a lot of people's radar well I'm really I've like this series has really been a time for like discovery for me because there's so many films that I hadn't seen before that I really enjoyed so thank you very much for that Mary films it's another not great <laughs> film but i don't know if i could watch it again because it was too sad when i know more sad. um shall we move on to always shine let's do it okay um always shine 2016 um beth an actress who is beginning to enjoy commercial success albeit in roles that she feels are beneath her is planning a getaway to big sur with her friend fellow actress anna in comparison to Beth, Anna is struggling in her career, routinely stressed out by expenses she can't pay and feeling that she encounters interpersonal problems due to her fiery personality. During the trip, the tensions between the two women rise to an unbearable pitch. Mm. Yes. So um, a second viewing for me. Mm-hmm. I think a third had... for me. So All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked this film when I first saw it. I it's another one that I don't often see people speaking about, yeah. but we're definitely worth a watch. Definitely. I, um, I always, cause when I don't watch it for a while, I always kind of, I sort of doubt it because it's not, it's a film in which not a lot happens. 
Mm. Or like it's not, you know, it doesn't really make a big deal of itself. And then you do watch it. It's just so perfectly executed. Like everyone's yeah. so good in it. This, like the editing, the sound design. I don't usually say that kind of thing about films because I don't sure. really think, you know, I would never sell a film on like wonderful editing. Like it's supposed to, it's about how it makes you feel and hmm. what it says, but everything's so kind of perfect in it that it just has this, and it's so tense. Yeah. Like just, you know, I've, I saw a film, I saw that film Shiva Baby a little, oh, yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago because it was on movie. And I just felt like, I think there's like a little bit of a trend at the moment of films that are supposed to be, maybe it's like a flea bag influence thing, but mm-hmm. it's like films that are supposed to be like really anxiety provoking. And they're like about normal people in situations where they, where something happens that's like very stressful and very embarrassing. And mm-hmm. I just thought like the film was trying to sell me something that something dramatic was happening when it wasn't. Okay. Um, but like with Always Shine, it's just, it's so, it really is so tense. Everything that's yeah. happening is just like unbearable. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, really good. Yeah, really good. I mean, obviously, Mackenzie, Mackenzie Davis, um, she's been a lot now. She was in Black Mirror. She was mm-hmm. um, in Blade Runner 2046. She's been, she's been in loads. Yeah. Caitlin Fitzgerald. Yeah. Do you know her? Have you seen her in that little, I think it's like a stars series called Sweet Bitter? No, I haven't seen Sweet Bitter. Have you heard heard of it? it. No, what is it? Okay, Sweet Bitter, I think you can still find it. There's only two series of it. It, Unfortunately, it got cancelled, which I really don't understand why. It's truly good. And um, it's about people working in a restaurant in Manhattan. Okay. And they're they're like waiters and servers and cooks and chefs and there's like the restaurant manager etc. It's all set inside this really like upscale restaurant you could say. And um, she's one of the servers. She plays one of the servers and she's brilliant in it. And the thing is, her role in that show, like she has this relationship or friendship with this newbie who comes in, and. They have a very similar dynamic as the two women in Always Shine. It's really interesting. Oh, okay, that sounds really interesting. Well, I mean, like, I always like think your your TV recommendations always like hit the spot with me <laughs> because she's also in on in a series of Unreal. Yes, she which is, you recommended she? to me. She's the sutress in one of the in like one of the maybe series three or two. Yeah. I can't remember which one. Um, and actually, Sarah, you recommended Unreal to me. I recommended it to you. Is are you yeah. sure? Yeah, hundred percent. Oh my god. Okay. Now, uh, that's, <laughs> all right. How weird is that that I had a confused identity moment yeah. in that episode? I'm confused identity. That's really funny. Um, I had to let you take the credit because I love that show. Oh my god! I can't believe that. Oh, that's so crazy. <laughs> okay. Well, the, all right. Well, I have no idea who recommended it to me. Um, someone if it's if it's like one of my friends who listens, someone out there is like really pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> um, and she's in Succession. Um, That's right, she's recently, in Succession. Yeah. Um, as uh, Kira, like Kieran Culkin's girlfriend. <laughs> um, she's like in it. She kind of pops up in everything, and I think she's amazing. Mm, she's amazing. Um, but actually, like, <laughs> I wanted to ask you: Is there a, are there any actors or actresses that you like mm. get mixed up? Ah, yes. There um, well, recently, I couldn't believe it how much I found that Florence Pugh looks so much like Chloe Moretz. 
Oh, yeah, I can see that. I can totally see that. Like, they, I swear, I, I, I can't sometimes, like, tell them apart. It's really uncanny. And they also have a very similar, like, red carpet style. Like, they go for, like, statement lip colors. And mm. they, they're, they're kind of equally, I think, very beautiful. But they have a very strong similarity. And I even once tweeted, I, I kind of found, I rooted around online and found these images of them where they especially look similar because of their, like, hairstyles and glam. And I said, I would love to see an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's William Wilson, but with these two. <gasps> That's excellent casting. That's very good. <laughs> I love it when I wish like I wish just the public had a power the power to cast movies. Yeah. People just have like great ideas like that. Um oh, that's what about you? Who do you who do you confuse with each other? I have a terrible thing with okay. It's partly because I'm I have a bit of a like tendency to mix up words and names. Yeah. Um, and so for me, a really bad thing is, okay, let me try and remember this. Okay. Ellen Burstyn, Ellen Barkin, (laughs) Helen Hunt and Holly Hunter. Oh my God. (laughs) Especially the last three, Ellen Barkin, Helen Hunt and Holly Hunter. Like whenever any of those women are on the screen, I say like the first three names before I can figure out exactly who they are. And oh my goodness. I think it's because like they were kind of like those like those last three that were in a lot of films in like the 90s when I was growing up like yeah. you know um like Twister like that's Helen oh, yeah. Hunt and then like so yeah I think it's like partly the names and partly because they're just like <laughs> they're just all like blonde actresses yes and so like when um Holly Hunter is in like it was in succession i was like oh helen hunt no ellen, ellen barkin no like ellen bastard no like i can't i just like can't keep them straight and i think it's more like when people's names are similar that i can't but actually i also get um caitlin fitzgerald and elizabeth debicki mixed up yes. and then i looked i googled their names together and like lots of people on the internet are like they're just doppelgangers they're like the same person so, ah, so yeah, I can see that yeah really similar like really similar like face shapes oh my god they could be twins almost yeah they really I'm just could. looking now they could just that's be really that's uncanny yeah yeah oh wow that's interesting yeah they're really similar so I was watching yeah. this I, I watched I invited my flatmate to watch with me Okay. Because she was like, do you want to watch a film tonight? And I was like, yes, but it has to be Always Shine or The Man Who Wanted Himself. <laughs> so she chose Always Shine. And she was like, the whole time she was um, looking at Mackenzie Davis and saying, um, is, it, is that what her name, Mackenzie Davis? Yeah. The other one? And saying like different actors' names that she looked like. So she oh. said, Daryl Hannah, Robin Wright, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley and Brooke Shields. Okay. So, which actually she does. She does have a really, like she actually has a really... Um, versatile face she does and I could see all of those people at different times in her face me too I can see it (laughs) yeah so I mean that really lends itself to the film because like it does make you realize like how many like identical actresses especially actresses (laughs) are like just competing I think you have it with actors as well like actors that look like or like at the same type but especially with blonde white actresses there's like a million a million (laughs) of them they all look the same um yeah, which is so funny because at one point in the movie, Beth says, she's like on the phone and she's like, I don't even know why I'm getting jobs. It's just people like my look right now. I have a certain look that people have. And it's like, you guys look pretty similar. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like, that's the, that's the thing, thing, yeah. Isn't it? Like, um, 
yeah it's not it like there were things that she says on the phone they're not really like they're not really the issue mm. you know they're not really the truth like neither woman really kind of understands what's going on between yeah. them really um but um yeah like how, how yeah what are you what are your thoughts on the film um so Okay, so I have a little bit of a confession to make. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, I was thinking, I was kind of like reminded uh, when I was asking you what you thought of uh, "I'm Still Here," and you, you, you know, you were saying because you hadn't seen it before, and you said um, that you th- thought it was a bit of a, it was kind of challenging to get through because it felt like a bit of a slog to watch. Yes, and the thing is, it's this kind of surprised me that I felt like this upon my second viewing with this movie. And I was trying to understand why, because I really do like this movie. I'm not um, kind of in any way disparagingly like speaking about it. It's, it tr- it's really worth seeing and it's so under the radar. And again, it should be, it should be way more like known than it is. Um, but I felt frustrated watching it and I was trying trying to figure out why. And I think it kind of dawned on me that, it might have just been for a very similar reason that you didn't like I'm still here, but like gender reversed. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so like the frustration for me, I can't, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I-, I just felt like I was just kind of witnessing women doing things that are stereotypically attributed to them. Mm-hmm. And I found that annoying. Okay, so here's my main issue is just that, um, like I like I said earlier on, I, I had a, like a critique of li- bourgeois liberal feminism. <laughs> the main thing that kind of got on my nerves, I think, which is something I didn't quite see in my maybe my first viewing, is you know um, Anna's character. She was sort of like initially complaining about speaking in a group of people and then kind of feeling dismissed or something by a guy. Yes. And she was saying, like, if I had been a guy, he wouldn't have spoken to me like that. So it kind of establishes her, in my mind, as speaking in a kind of the framework of like a certain, of maybe a feminist ideology, you know, which is perfectly like valid. But then for her to like hold that view and at the same time have this kind of desperate, competitive impulse towards her friend. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm in no way saying that just depicting this means that the director in, endorses it. I don't believe that. I, I strongly think probably that maybe it was even intended to kind of expose this hypocrisy about this kind of liberal bourgeois um, definition of feminism that only works for the advancement of yourself as a woman. Mm-hmm. When it comes to other women and their progression and their, you know, like maybe reaping their own rewards of their own hard work. I feel like women should uplift each other and 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 hype each other up, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I just felt like I just felt like this kind of pettiness and this bitterness of, oh, you're in this magazine. Oh, my God. Like, why didn't you tell me? And like looking so pissed off and being jealous. And and again, I don't think that the movie is endorsing that. I I think actually the movie may be trying to expose the hypocrisy of that, Mm -hmm. you know, Um. So that's kind of why I found it irritating, actually. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That was kind of my impression watching it. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, like I definitely, I was actually, it's my third watch. And I remember the first couple of watches being irritated with McKen- the Mackenzie Davis character. Yeah. Um, and then like by the third watch, I was starting to also be really irritated with the 
Caitlin Fitzgerald character because the things she does are just like so inexplicable yeah like especially the bit where you know it's like it seems like Mackenzie Davis is like hitting it off with this guy and then like (laughs) it seems kind of like she scared him off by being too aggressive Hmm. or something and then he goes out and asks the asks (laughs) out Beth and even though she's got a boyfriend she like agrees to dinner and gives him her phone number Oh, absolutely. She's guilty of it as well. Yeah, like they're both guilty. But I think like the interesting thing about it is like you can hear them both. You hear them both like monologue about like what their problem is. Mm. Like, you know, like Mackenzie Davis like attributes kind of her problem. Like she, you know, like she talks around her problems quite a lot. Like she says like, you know, she was like the victim of sexism here. But then she also like is like, you know, she was like, well, it's because I'm like aggressive, you know, I'm like viewed as aggressive. And she kind of like, she kind of like, it's almost like it's because mm. girls like you don't do that. And like, it's kind of the, the implication is that like the way Caitlin Fitzgerald's character acts like makes life harder for women like her. Right. And then I think, and then like, you also have Caitlin Fitzgerald on the phone to her boyfriend just being like, you know, I didn't give my agent the video because, you know, because. Um, Anna's like so disgusting and desperate she says that was like awful things and even like even saying it like I'm getting goosebumps because the bit where she says that and then she turns around and Anna's there is just like so frightening but I just think that neither one they're like both very kind of confused about what is actually the truth between them and I think I don't really know totally what is the issue with Mackenzie Davis like what what is causing her problems but with um with Beth it's really clear that she thinks that Anna's a better actress than her and that they do look similar and the reason the real reason that is never like said in the film (laughs) the real reason that she doesn't give her tape you know the the tape to the Agent. agent is because she like feels that she'll be replaced by her exactly or like feels that she'll take you know like well in the world realizes that she's better yes um but then like yeah you kind of get this idea that like they don't, there's just so many kind of like there's so much about what people say and then what is actually true you know mm. and like also the other th- thing about beth like constantly like downgrading like saying she's not a good actress these aren't good films she's not enjoying herself mm-hmm. when like she is perfectly good it's just that she doesn't want to stand up to people yeah. You know, so like she probably is a good actress. She's just kind of not letting like she, you can see that she's a good actress in the beginning of the film when she does that kind of audition scene. It's just that like faced with competition, she kind of opts out of of trying, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's like and, a lot yeah. that I maybe identified with. Like obviously I would never behave like either of those women. Sure. sure. But I think I definitely would like have experienced the same kind of insecurities. Mm. um as them and like that same like feeling of like, not really being it like not can't be bothered to stand up for myself I would rather just like exit a situation mm-hmm. um yeah no for sure I mean I I agreed that um they're both sort of exhibiting very similar impulses so it and it is very clever casting because they do look alike mm. and but they also behave alike in their own right yeah yeah the whole business with um not letting Anna know about the experimental short I mean that's just so petty like and it was really awkward like the whole bit where she got found out about that so frightening like I just like so embarrassing yeah yeah it was truly I had like secondhand cringe you know like watching that moment um and she played it really well because she couldn't even like she couldn't even pretend that she hadn't fucked up 
like she just like <laughs> totally lost her voice pretty much um and it just it frightened me so yeah it was just like I can't deal with this I can't like deal with what I've done kind of or like oh, I can't God. yeah and neither and she can't even admit what she's done as well like if yeah. if they if they just like both been more honest with each other yeah like or more honest with themselves and like nothing like would have happened like <laughs> it's just right. so frustrating and you know when they're occupying that kind of shared space uh in this beautiful place actually I've always wanted to go to Big Sur I've always wanted to go to just like a lake house like you yeah. know just a house in the forest or like by a like this like I just I like flock to movies about lake houses oh, like anything okay. that sets so that's why I really like that one um what is it called with the like recently married uh lesbian couple oh what is it called hang on what keeps you alive out. what keeps you alive yeah, yeah great movie what's keep what keeps you alive because they have that lake house and the, the rental where they go and like oh yeah the yeah. rental um and like i love films with lake houses because i just like aspire <laughs> to i aspire to go and stay in a lake house one day <laughs> and it always shine is definitely in my list of lake house films yeah it's beautiful Gorgeous. it's a beautiful scenery um and yeah, the, the bit that also, like, again, had secondhand cringe, major secondhand cringe, was the whole thing about the local guy giving Beth a lift. Yeah. And the whole time thinking that, like, when, when he hooked up with Anna, he broke his celibacy for her, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, he thought it was the other girl. Like, it's just, oh my God, it's embarrassing. Frankly, yeah. it's really embarrassing. Yeah, he's a revolting character. Like so disgusting. So gross. And I think it's really like there are like is he not um Sophia Takal's husband? Oh god, is he? Oh god, I feel bad. Um no, I, I think because like they kind of collaborate, like, don't they? Like, they do. Because he wrote the script, didn't he? Yeah, so like he's obviously like given himself that role, like <laughs> for a reason. And like it's really I like that he wears that pig nose. And it's yeah. like it kind of exacerbates how gross he is because he's like even like his like costume is is really disgusting. It like, is. I mean, yeah. I mean, pigs are lovely, but he's pig man is horrible. <laughs> I mean, just the whole. I feel like just the whole aesthetic of people dressing up as hippies, like yeah. post that era, in an unironic way. I mean, I don't like hippies to begin with, but you know the kind of pseudo hippies i mean that's just a whole other type of hell for me <laughs> yeah definitely i just couldn't um, even when they go to dinner in that their friend's house um uh, and i'm just like how can people really live like that like all the time you know it's just like a like they, they must be like trust fund kids like they must have exactly. so much money to be able to live there like which isn't even what it's, just, it's supposed to be like when you live like off the land like you're supposed yeah. to um but yeah like that whole second half of the film is like really cringy because just of everyone's being so and he just kind of forms a relationship with her without her even like really being a presence yeah. in the relationship like he like totally imagines anything that she's like anything that she like thinks and feels he just like interprets and she like she doesn't yeah. she doesn't have to do anything she just has to be this like blank canvas um to like I mean literally he's painting her yes yes exactly and she can't even which which is so interesting to me because as soon as he brought her over to his friends he brought her around and the first thing they said is oh did he paint you yet so obviously he has a habit of you know collecting random girls and then like promising them the world and painting them making them feel like his muse or something but isn't that just the process that 
Beth was kind of in, in a way with her filmmaking, like she was forced to play this, I guess the, even the role of an enthusiastic performer Mm -hmm. um, for all these people with their gaze absolutely fixated on her, you know? And now she's doing that for this random guy posing for him. He's watching her and painting her. Yeah, because I guess like, you know, in like, because her kind of like her like personal, her like, you know, forceful personality has like resulted in this disaster. So she just kind of like disavows it completely and becomes that kind of idea of like this pressure to always be like the other kind of woman. Mm-hmm. You know, and like there's not it's never good you're never it's never good enough. Like you're always like you are missing something if you can't like right. embody all of these like opposing personality traits. And so like when so they're they're just like so like both types of women and like obviously they kind of swap over and they become like the opposite of themselves in the second half. But like both types of women like always being like criticized and always being like told to like be different. You know, like in mm. like when so like Mackenzie Davis is like criticized all the time when she's, you know, like her boyfriend breaks up with her because she pushed his boss. And, yeah. um, you know, that guy is like, oh, God, you ask a lot of questions. You're very like, you're really curious. <laughs> and then like when she's being like the meek, the like the, you know, meek, like passive one, she's the guy is like, what you need to pose for me. Like that's a pose. You call it a pose. Like, you know, do something better. Like, it's just like, that's she can't win either way. She's just don't like, be so shy. Yeah, exactly. Don't be so shy or like, don't be so aggressive. It's just, yeah. But in a way she was even, I think in this, in that like post murder or whatever happened, wasn't she just LARPing as her friend? I felt. Kind of, yeah, because they like, they don't do each other as well as they do themselves, do they? Exactly. Like there's something, and even, and like when Caitlin Fitzgerald is kind of playing her, like she's not as good at it either. <laughs> no. So yeah, like there is like a sense that like, you know, like LARPing is such a good phrase for what they're doing mm. because it's so over the top and ridiculous. Yeah. That, it's a cosplay. Yeah, it's just a total cosplay. It's like a, it's like a, um, <laughs> it's like a piss take of the other person. Total um so yeah like it's not even it's yeah it's the piss take but still it manages to like fool people or like still people just like go along with it even See, if it's just a piss yeah. take of like femininity this is why I feel like maybe having thought about it more in this conversation I wouldn't even say I feel like the similarity is much stronger between Always Shine and Cam than it is with Black Swan oh interesting just because I feel like in Cam there is that kind of threat of your identity being violated Mm -hmm. and you know you actually being co-opted as a person so that people are recognizing and acknowledging your digital doppelganger or just this person LARPing as you and you've just been forgotten kind of thing That's versus so it, good. Yes. and that is really what's happening here as opposed to black swan which i think black black, black swan is like a total decimation of all all of these things that are trying to like shut you down and oppress you mm-hmm. and it's just this massive like flipping over the table walking away with middle fingers of blazing saying no bitch i'm the black swan <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're totally maybe that is why I like this film because I love Cam so much and like yeah this is something this is a film that I'd like repeatedly come back to yeah Um, this would be an ideal double bill with Cam I feel yeah you're totally right it is a lot like Cam Mm. that's so interesting I did I'm really glad that you put that into words because I do always feel like there's something off about it when they're kind of playing each other 
Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't want to like criticize their acting, but <laughs> it's too much. Like both of them are just like like that bit where like she's at the party and Caitlin Fitzgerald is like stalking around. Oh like my God. it's just like it's ridiculous. Like they're just yeah. yeah. But it wasn't maybe intentional because it was supposed to convey this over like this OTT, you know, that actually it is this ludicrous, absurd, you know, uh, LARPing, which for for anyone who doesn't know what LARPing is, live action role play. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what's going on. I think for sure it's maybe it was intentional to make it look that kind of degree of ridiculousness, you know, because it is ridiculous. Like, yeah, it is kind of ridiculous. Um, but I have a question. Mm. What the heck happened in the last scene? I still haven't figured it out. Like, what is what's going on? <laughs> So like when she comes up the hill, and yeah. like, um, I guess like that's just kind of where um, the boyfriend like kind of catches up with them. Yeah. And then like they've discovered like Caitlin Fitzgerald's body in the woods. Okay. So you're, this is what I would, this is what I was a bit unsure on. Cause I wasn't sure whether that really was her body because of the placement and the location. I thought the body was somewhere off. Like I thought Caitlin Fitzgerald's body was left somewhere in the woods. I didn't realize it was near the house. So that's why I was thinking the body that they're removing, is that actually Anna's body? Is it Mackenzie's body? I mean, maybe it's supposed to be like ambiguous. Yeah. Um, I just kind of assumed that like her body would be near the house because like when you kind of hear the sound effects, it seems like she catches up with her pretty quick. Okay. When she runs away. Um, so I like, yeah, I just kind okay. of always assume that it's Anna's body. Um, but just because she spent the night in the woods, you know, she had this kind of weird psychedelic moment That's where true. their whatever, their specters were wrestling each other in the woods or whatever. <laughs> You know, and then and then she fell asleep in that in that very same spot where she actually killed her friend. And then she wakes up, she climbs over the mountain, mm. and there's a body being pulled away. So I thought, well, is it is she just a ghost witnessing the authorities removing her body now from the house? Oh. But I mean, that's pure speculation. <laughs> like, I like that interpretation. Also, like another interpretation for like strange, less than human behavior. Right. You know, because she does like become like, there is something ghostly about her personality in the second half when she's like doing Beth. Yeah. Like she's, she can't even like, there's, there's that great scene at dinner where like the other, the other woman, the woman who's hosting them is like speaking to her and the camera's always on Mackenzie Davis's face and she just can't seem to get any words out. Yeah. Like she's just like, like you could just see her mouth moving, like starting to kind of formulate something and then like someone else speaks. Oh my God. Yeah, that's so true. Um, <gasps> and I really liked so that character of like this woman that used to be an actress and is like also, and everyone's also telling her to shut up all the time. Yeah. Um, and she's like just asking like perfectly normal questions. Um, oh my God. So yeah, like there's, there is something about her where she is just like, Mm-hmm. totally like doesn't seem to really like know where she is and yeah. can't seem to say anything really like um, disoriented just really disoriented because there's that bit where she like runs away from him that's right and he's just like are you jealous are you jealous of like that guy and then he goes he's so disgusting he's <laughs> like know. he's like we slept together like a year ago it's oh. like and she like she hasn't even said anything like why do you like why do you volunteer that information oh my god it's um, so embarrassing but it's like it's actually and she seems confused like she doesn't know why like why she's over there now 
yeah like so maybe that is actually really cool that's actually I really love that interpretation that like actually she lost yeah. the struggle in the woods and right and now she's like in this weird kind of purgatory where she's like the last thing she kind of remembers is this like struggle with like with this other person where they became like they yeah became, exactly so they became all mixed up you know yeah they became all mixed up and she's been in kind of this weird purgatorial state kind of repeating some of the tropes but as has as her friend mm. having to perform under the gaze of some random hippie guy you know but then also when she wakes up she climbs the hill and when she comes to the real realization of being confronted with the body she's over the hill which is like turn a phrase about pe- people being too old yeah she says she says she's preoccupied with being like a 30 year old and not having made it yet as an actress it might be too late for her yes yeah that's a really interesting line Mm. But like, if you don't make it by the time you're 30, it's too late for you. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, when she's um, performing her little kind of, uh, I don't know what kind of exercises those are, like yoga bar. I don't know what they're, what, what she was doing. Yeah, we were saying that as well. Like, Ada, she's like, what exercise is that? And I was like, it's nothing I recognize. It's just like, it's just thrusting. <laughs> like, it's very strange yeah. that they. What the fuck was that? I don't know. Like, there's something really significant in because they that they choose that exercise to like repeat over and over again. Well, because I looked it up afterwards, and I'm like, I need to figure out what what was going on. Like, what what was she doing? And apparently, it's called the breath of fire. Oh, interesting. So it's very deliberate, short, sharp intakes of breath, and then like exhales but very short and sharp and you're like you have to involve your stomach you're like really thrusting the way she was Mm. and I'm trying to figure out what is the significance because it's like her character was just this stuck in this treadmill or like hamster wheel of having a very specific definition of of success yes and trying to reach it but it's like impossible so she's kind of like setting herself up to fail really and it's sad but the breath of fire thing is like you can tell that she really does want to to somehow live it's mm-hmm. just that she's very misguided about about how to live she hasn't fully maybe embraced her own erotic drive she's just kind of copying somebody else almost yeah that's true and i actually think um you know that that bit where they are like she's is she isn't Caitlin Fitzgerald is in the shower and she does she finds that magazine and brings it into her and you know Caitlin Fitzgerald like says it's really not that big a deal (laughs) and like I mean at the time that's really annoying and stupid but actually like how many actors have you seen like because say like you know they're like the next big thing they're the actor of the year sure and then they just totally disappear yeah so like in a way it it seems like she's kind of shrinking away from success Like, but maybe she just like partly she doesn't really believe in it because she knows how fast it can also just go away. Yeah, it's fickle. Yeah, exactly. So in a way, she's kind of like, in a way, like the more cynical of the two. Oh, yeah. um, Because she kind of doesn't really take anything like particularly seriously. And what what was that bit at the Mm -hmm. end where she's like in the bar with that guy and she's like, I would like to have a garden. (laughs) (laughs) What a weird thing to say. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These strange little lines that you, you're like, where does that fit? I, I I really truly believe it was just this weird attempt to like wholly embody someone and try and it's, it's like grasping at straws about what this person wants in their life. Yeah. And trying to attach themselves. But when they come out in a sentence, it sounds absurd. It sounds just bizarre. Yes. 
Yeah. You know, but that she was already she was always doing that all along, like from the first scene. That's why the opening shot of Mackenzie's character, you know, it plays out as if in her own mind she's auditioning for a dramatic role where she's just talking to a mechanic. Yes. Like it's not that deep, you know. <laughs> but she's she's so obsessed. She's going around with this like ideology that's driving all of her behaviors where she's pitting herself or maybe she feels pitted against this friend. Mm. You know, maybe she doesn't, she's not actively doing it. She just feels the burden of, 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 of being compared to someone else. But the framing of that as if she's auditioning is really clever because it's showing that she's just, I don't know, like co-opted this persona of an actor auditioning at all times, even in the most benign, innocuous moments, mm-hmm. you know, banal moments. Yeah. It's funny. She does like kind of have like a face on all the time. Yes. Um, like that bit um, where this, the, she meets the like experimental filmmaker in the woods. <laughs> and like, you know, she's she manages to be like horrible to Caitlin Fitzgerald at the same time as being like incredibly <laughs> charming to this filmmaker. Like, and it's just like need, like, it's just, like any idiot could see that there's like something up, but the filmmaker is like totally charmed. And like Caitlin yeah. Fitzgerald is totally terrified. Um, but yeah, she's just like, she's kind of, yeah, she is sort of always performing in a way. She's yeah. like always on. She's always on. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yes. That's so true. The guy that they were talking to initially, um, he, the one that, you know, said he's in some kind of retreat or Men's something. Men's retreat. Men's retreat. Yeah. What were they doing? What kind of work was it? I, I'm trying to remember. It's kind of, he said it is kind of about competition or like working through like competition Right. Because like she was like, what do you like wrestle with each other like by That's the fire? It. But yeah. like he kind of implied that like they get together and like work out their like competitive urges with mm. each other. Mm. Like and that's kind of an interesting thing because she's like, what what do you you know, like she acts like it's just like this bonkers thing. And mm. then she's like, they've got this whole backstory of like competition between them. That's so, right. That's, that's really right. interesting as well. It is because it's kind of like really nearby in this area near near uh, Big Sur, and there seems to be like this energy up there, really kind of dramatic energy of almost like people returning to some primitive stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess it made me kind of think a little bit about this is very much a part of the culture in California, you know, and we touched on this in our cult season Mm -hmm. of this kind of, I don't know what it is about people out there, but they really seem to have like display this pattern of belonging to these strange groups and doing strange things. It's as if the the whole crisis hinges on like a cult membership Mm. of someone wanting to belong to this kind of in group. And yet the one who's in it seems really disaffected and like disenchanted with the whole thing. I really like that. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's very pervasive in California. There's a lot of like keeping up with the Joneses, wanting to be in on the latest thing and wanting to be like acknowledged and recognized and fame and all this, all the stuff that goes along with that, you know? Yeah. And like, if you want to, if you want like a club to be successful, all you have to do is put up like, is is, like, put like a velvet rope around like an area, like, or, you know, like start, like start not letting people in. Right. And then like everyone will be scrambling to get in. 
like there is definitely a thing of like everyone wanting to be part of something and being left out it's kind of it's like really horrible actually it's horrible it's horrible it's and I actually watched this um I kind of threw, threw it on this morning as as I was getting ready um this interview with uh, Sophie Takal mm. and she actually did mention that she had in her mind the kind of ideas around scarcity economics being very part of her thinking when she was developing the film oh okay and how like people just feel like there's not enough of something to go around so then these exclusive clubs appear that create the myth that you're missing out you know it's part of the kind of attraction and draw to whatever whatever it is you're selling and people then desperately want to belong to that. And that's part of that cult mentality that keeps happening all the time. It's it's crazy. That's so interesting because um, like I feel like Sophia Takal is really like, and, and actually Michael Lawrence Levine, who's the mm-hmm. pig guy, um, <laughs> have like, you know, they really, it's so interesting they would make a film like that because they've really kind of opted out of that mentality of filmmaking yeah. where they like make films on really small budgets yeah. and they get all of their friends to do it. And they really seem to feel a lot of joy for filmmaking. Yeah. Um, like they seem to have a good time like doing Definitely. it. And I think, um, I mean, I think she's becoming more successful now. Mm. Um, but yeah, like it's interesting that, I mean, I, she, she also was an actress, wasn't she? Yeah, right? she was. Yeah, so yeah. I guess she's had experience of that. And that like that idea of um, replaceability as yeah. well, like endless replaceability of like there are a million girls that would kill for this role, like right. sort of thing is really pervasive there as well. Um, in a way, it's yeah. also like connected to Starry Eyes. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we could have easily have included Starry Eyes in the cult series. Oh, definitely, definitely. Oh god, That's... we've just got so many crossovers. Like, I know <laughs> it's really unfair that we can't just like discuss a film again and again and again. But I guess eventually we'd wear it out. I'm like definitely interested in your reaction to the film because, um, mm. yeah, it's like it is very. I find it like it that having that reaction to um, I'm still here like mm. was really intriguing for me because like because mm-hmm. of, of that like Lars von Trier like stone in your shoe. <laughs> like idea like I was just like what is it that like what is it in me that it's like got to so much and yeah, I think that's yeah. why I interpret it as like a film about like the worst thing yeah. that could happen to you if you try to be creative yeah. you know like I was like, I think that's why it's upsetting me so, so much because I have so many like mm-hmm. you know I have like another Pelham telling me that I'll be bad at it you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. So yeah. No, for sure. Mm. No, and I think I think that's also like the hang up for me. I think watching Always Shine in the same spirit of the stone in the shoe. I don't know, just kind of I guess seeing too often uh, people throwing around the word solidarity and and friendship mm-hmm. when actually I I've, I've just witnessed it too many times where people actually fail to show up when to hype you up even if even if the other person doesn't actually even need it it's just the kind of weird culture maybe it's just the neoliberal climate that we're in that makes people not want to show up for each other and it's, it's it's just hypocritical to me you know and I just feel like when it's friends you really want them to like you want to feel like they're on your side you know they're cheering you on they're happy for you you know and it's just this kind of thing, it, I don't know. It kind of bugs me, I guess. But um, but yeah, I'm. I, I want to see what what this director does next because I I feel like she could, because as you say, the way that she works, you know, very consciously outside of the kind of Hollywood system, 
I'm, I want to see more from her. Like she has a really interesting vision. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'd love to see more. It's actually quite hard to get some of her films in the UK. Oh, really? But yeah. Like there are some that I've wanted to watch and not been able to find. Um, yes. And I know she did the Black Christmas remake. That's right. But I didn't love it. Again, actually, it had, actually had some quite annoying feminism in it. Oh, um, no. Like, it was like the patriarchy did it, like, kind of in the, like, um, but the patriarchy is also a ghost. I don't know. It was just a bit silly. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't, like, super enamored with it. But don't you think it's ironic that, like, in Always Shine, they're talking about this absurd horror movie with, with where there's a red herring? Yes. And that's exactly what, what she ended up making. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it's funny. How weird. I know. Very strange. But I still believe in her. Like I still think she. Oh, should definitely. Be, well, after a film like this, you know, she certainly deserves mm-hmm. everyone's uh, confidence in her for sure. Mm-hmm. Also, speaking of hyping up, when is your Marilyn course coming up? Oh, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't mentioned it on here yet. I think we only mentioned it to Kathy. Yeah, I know. But I, I think like this will come out first. <laughs> Thanks for um, giving me the chance to say it. So yeah, that the Maryland course is happening in August, uh, August 20th and 21st. So it's a two day course on the screen persona of Marilyn Monroe. So actually quite related to what we've been talking about here. Yeah, strangely. Yeah. Yeah, with the stage persona. I mean, I've taught this course before. So it is a kind of a repetition of old material. It's just that I've only ever taught it live in the museum, like pre-pandemic. So this was something that they wanted me to bring online. Um, but actually ahead of that, I should also mention that I've got my Patreon Woo! coming out this week. So like by the time this episode is released, your Patreon will be like in full swing with stuff or with stuff on it. Like, yes, exactly, you know. exactly. So it's like the perfect time to tune in because you won't have to like, <laughs> wait it will already be live so right <laughs> like right now as you are listening you can find mary mary's patreon and subscribe that is there. true yeah that is true because it'll all already have launched on the first of july yes and yeah so that's just going to be like a weekly upload of just my lectures and the odd deep dive into something that i want to talk about from cultural issues oh my god it's going to be so valuable for people thank you so much but um yeah apart from that wait what are you working on currently i feel like there's something we can plug for you as well you were writing something you were writing another essay oh yeah it actually came out on friday um oh. i wrote it i it was like it came out like I basically was like still editing it up to the point that it came out and then I was like out of the house so I didn't even like really know it come out until like after like end of hours on Friday so I'm going to be posting about it on Monday Um, oh my god congrats oh thank you I am I'm not sure I I know I shouldn't say say that on like like, I feel like it's not my best (laughs) piece ever like you know sometimes you're Um, like oh I don't know if I I like I did the best work on here Um, I highly doubt that (laughs) um, (laughs) but it's about um there's a film that is launching on launched on Friday on the Curzon um website called Sweat um (gasps) and sometimes you know you don't know what you're writing about until you're like halfway through it so um it's kind of about an influence like a fitness influencer but I listened Mm -hmm. to a load of interviews with the director and it kind of seemed to me like it was about creativity like it was about like not being just kind of not self-editing and like about because the director became really obsessed with like um 
what's the precursor to TikTok, Snapchat, when he oh, was yeah. writing it, <laughs> and he got really interested in these fitness influencers. And at first, his like his like gaze was quite judgmental, and then okay. by the end of it, he kind of discovered that he sort of envied their ability to just like post like all of this content, like unfiltered content. And I thought yeah. that was quite interesting, like someone, a filmmaker, like getting in touch with his like envy of like in a you know in a way like a lesser a lesser creative mm. you know and like what you can kind of take from that so like I kind of followed up like more that train of I was really fascinated by that train of thinking like that the film's mm-hmm. not really about online culture at all it's about like how you can be like how you can like get up every morning and be and like make something basically oh my god so I'll send it to you I'll send it to you now I'm feeling better about it now that I've talked to you about it that sounds incredible (laughs) I need first of all I'm so compelled to watch this film and I also will definitely be reading your piece it sounds so good oh thank you (laughs) maybe even this film could be brought into if we do a series on technology yes that's true actually yeah there's been like I feel like there's a growing like list of films about like social media that are really fascinating yeah. i love ingrid goes west i would love to do oh that oh my god i love that movie which is also is, is that not big Sur or is that oh no it's um joshua it? tree yeah joshua tree yeah, yeah. Different, different but still hippie vibes but so, yeah totally yeah totally still applies yeah definitely um <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure i would want to do private chats oh um, yeah you know there's loads i mean actually because you, you've already written about those um in a separate essay as well so yeah i seem to be like the go to at the moment like just seem to be handed a lot of um like tech films like oh, that's so to, cool. to, which is like kind of an interest for me so i guess i must have like attracted it yes yeah. you manifested it manifested it yeah <laughs> excellent excellent well i'm looking forward to to reading your piece sarah congrats oh, thank you um before we sign off, I, I noticed you posted about a new donation. Oh, yes. Um, yes, that's completely true. I did. Jacqueline Whale. It is Jacqueline, yes. He has donated to us before. Um, and always like very, uh, yeah, it's very generous. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so, so much. She's amazing. I mean, she, Jacqueline's attended a few of my Ford Museum lectures. With people like Jacqueline contributing to the discussions, I this is when I miss live events like with people in the room because her contributions are always so fascinating and mind-blowing so such an amazing film interpreter so we're honored that you are uh, supporting us thank you so much yeah thank you so much it's really lovely of you and I hope you saw our shout out I couldn't find you on um, Instagram or Twitter and so I'm not I find searching Twitter for people really difficult me too Uh, I can never find anyone so hopefully (laughs) you know we posted a thank you so hopefully you saw it Um, hope you saw it Well, thank you so much. That was a really fun recording. Um, and next time we'll be back with the last one in the series. I know. I can't believe it. We're going to finish the double with Antiviral and Black Swan. Woo! Very good. Very good finishing films. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I'm excited. Okay, well, till well, then. Till then. Bye. Bye. Segregation, determination, demonstration, integration, aggravation, humiliation, obligation to our nation. In the sky, sin is a flame in the summertime. No.